Hey, good morning, everyone. How many of you would have to admit this morning, don't, don't raise your hands or spouses, don't raise your spouse's hand, but um, if you were brutally honest with yourself, how many would have to admit that you just have way too much stuff in your house? And I told you not to raise your hands, okay? You didn't listen. Um, and, and, and it's interesting, the longer you live in, in one place, this is easy to do where um, it's like more and more stuff just grows like, like fungus. And, and you, know, you, you put stuff and you tuck stuff away in a corner and it's like, I didn't even know that was there when you go to kind of clean things out. And um, that's, there's uh, one show that I just I love on the History Channel. It's uh, American Pickers. I don't know if you've ever seen this show. It's uh, talked about it before. There's two guys, they travel around the country and they, they look for rusty gold. And uh, what they do is they resell it, uh, this stuff that they find in uh, barns and garages that people have just stored away for years that have uh, bought stuff and now they want to sell it and then they re- resell it. And it's interesting you go there and, and these guys they'll go into some places that I would not even attempt to go into and it's just packed with junk stuff and they're digging through it and and stuff that they think is just priceless or is going to fetch a lot of money you would think this is just something I would have thrown away last week but to them they've got an eye for it because they know what's popular they know what's selling and so they go around and they look for this rusty gold and 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 then they try to try to resell it what's interesting is when they go into some homes many times it's the son or the daughter that's trying to sell the stuff that got left behind from the person that collected all the stuff over, over the years. And what's interesting, when, you, uh, when they interview those people and they talk to them, they're like, I just don't know how uh, I, I got all this stuff. And then after a while, how many know it just becomes overwhelming to the point to where it just encloses people and there's no space. And so what you hear people say, we just need to sell stuff so that we can make space. So that we can make space. What I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I want to de-junk your life. How many of you know that so many things can get added to our plate and added to our life that we just feel like we're in a room where there's no breathing room? And we feel like we're in a place in our life where there's so much stuff that has crammed our time that we get to the point where we say, you know what, I, I got I to gotta make room for some space. I just feel so overwhelmed. And how many know it's, it's not necessarily bad things, it's just things. It's things that we add to our schedule. And how many know it's just all the little things to the point where we feel like I have no room and I need to declutter, I need to de-junk, I need to remove some things out of my schedule so that I can have some breathing room for what's really important. This is what I want to do. The reason why I want to hit these series of topics during the Christmas season is for this reason. This can tend to be the most busiest time of the year. Can I get an amen? It just is. It's not necessarily all the things are bad. It's just there's so many things within our schedule that can just bide for our attention. And so when we look at, at, the, at the Christmas season, we can get absolutely overwhelmed and overwhelmed with everything that's going on in our life. And in fact, what they've come to discover is that, you know, Christmas, we think of it as the most um, wonderful time of the year, you know, 
It's the most wonderful. You know, Andy Williams sings it like no one else can. Can I get an amen? Andy Williams has a voice of an angel. I don't care what you say. You can argue. And some people are like, who is Andy Williams? Get a life. He's great. Listen to him. Download it. Andy Williams. Most wonderful time of the year. Um, but really what it is, it's not just the most wonderful time of the year. How many know it's the most stressful time of the year? And what research is found, and, and I've read a couple articles about this, is that, um, in fact, Christmas, what they've, what they've uh, uh, tend to find out through um, certain research is that Christmas is actually the sixth most stressful life event. The sixth most stressful life event, right up there with job change and moving, is Christmas. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a little more stress to your life because we are now only 19 days away from Christmas. Have you got your shopping done yet? Right? So, so, um, so our month, if we think about it, gets jam-packed with stuff. Shopping, parties, school, concert, shopping, family, get-together, shopping, school thing, blah, blah, blah. And add if your kids are in sports like my two are in basketball, it's like every day they've got a game. Right? So you just add all this stuff in. And so what they found is, is that it's right up there with one of the most stressful life events that we have. There was another article in the Washington Post that showed that Christmas was the most stressful time of the year for this particular group. You know who it was? Women. They said that Christmas time is the most stressful time of the year for women. And so, because uh, all the guys just sit back and we let everyone else do the shopping, right? Whatever you want to get, honey, that's fine. You just do what you worry, you know. Um, so we don't really help too much in that area. So here's the thing. We, we, need to, we need to de-junk our lives because we need to think about what, what, if, if I'm de-junking, then I'm making room for something that's really important and, and something that's, that's less stressful and, and not to worry so much. So, so how do we, what do we do during the most stressful time of the year? Because, because when we think about it, with all the parties and all the concerts and all the shopping and everything else that goes on, somehow... Um, Jesus can really get lost in all this stuff. He, he can just get lost in all this stuff. And, and it's, it's the same thing with cleaning through your house. You discover something that, you've, that, that you lost a long time ago, and there it is. And what I want you to do is, I, I want us to de-junk our lives so that we can rediscover who Jesus really is. So laced within these messages, we're going to kind of dig into the Christmas story and really see who Jesus is. That that. Concerts and parties and all this stuff are not necessarily bad things. I'm not, I'm not saying that those things are bad things. But what I'm saying is, let's make sure that we're focusing on the right thing. That, that we're allowing the reason why we worship, the reason why we come to church, the reason why it's important to worship Christ, the reason why he came. And I think today it's so appropriate that we're going to celebrate communion at the end. And really, today we're going we're gonna to do something a little different. How many, how many like change? We're going to change a little bit the service. You're wondering why, man, pastor got up early. We're going to get out at like quarter after. No, sorry, you're not. So uh, we're going to leave some time at the end of the service to really worship and to really focus on Jesus and just get our hearts prepared, to prepare our hearts. What I love about the Christmas story, there's something about being prepared, that God prepared the heart of Mary and Joseph for the Savior to come into this world. He prepared them. He says, get ready. This is going to happen through you. And he comforted them and 
sent angels to comfort them and to, to, to relieve them that, that this, is, this is my plan. This is what I desire. And I pray that God would just prepare your heart to really understand and know who Jesus is. So in order to do that, we need to dejunk some things in our life in order to, to prepare our hearts and to make room for our hearts for the things that really matter. And let me just give you a couple things here. Well, one of the things I think we need to dejunk just a little bit in our hearts because we live in America and, and that we're, we're faced with this all the time and it's in our face and, and um, it, it's hard to wade through um, all this uh, materialism and the things that are thrown in our face. So the first thing I want to look at is how, how, we need to dejunk the consumerism mentality. Now, now let, let me explain what this is. How do you remember when the Christmas season actually started after Thanksgiving? How many of you are old like me and you actually remember when that started? Now it starts in September, right? We're getting earlier and earlier and earlier. And, and now I think it's eventually what's going to happen is once December rolls around, I think January, they're going to start in January just to get everybody ready for next December. It's just, so we're, we're, what, what, what we come to find out in our society today is that um, we're working off this consumer mentality, and there's a there's a mentality in America that that I deserve um, certain things that 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 we can easily gain this entitlement attitude that I'm owed this or I deserve this. And, and living in America, this consumerism mentality is everywhere. Basically, consumers consumerism is defined by protection or promotion of the interest of the consumer. So basically what that is, is everything revolves around who? Me. So it's, it's how to make me feel better. Give me the things that I need to make my life better and to show me that, that you can't live without this. And so we're going to make it new and improved and new and improved and new and improved and new and improved. So because you can't live without this thing and it's all your life is going to be so much better for the cost of 1995, right? So for 1995, your life is just going to be wonderful. So there's, there's this, there, we expect certain things. We expect to be treated a certain way. We expect things to be done in a certain way. Everything is done to cater to us, to our needs. And if it's not, look out. So, so how do I, how do I dejunk this out of my mind to get a correct perspective to make room for what's, what's really true and right? Well, we need to focus on Christ, and at, and at the heart of, of Jesus, as we see him coming into this world, at the heart of Christ is the heart of servanthood. That Jesus actually came into this world to serve. Look at this scripture, Matthew 20, 28. It says, it says this, and I love this. It says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, at the heart of Christ, it wasn't about him. It was about him serving us. It's about him becoming a servant and giving his life for us. And so when I understand what God has done for me and, and what he's done through his son, Jesus, it really breaks me of this me syndrome and, and that we have to fight all the time. And so we have to fight it because we're, we're constantly bombarded with it all the time about serving our needs. And that's what consumer, consumerism is. At the heart of it, it's the protection, the pr promotion of the interest of the consumer, of, of me. But at the heart of Christ, it's just the opposite, where Jesus came actually to serve. It's about not me. It's about the interests of others. And so, so if I'm going to dejunk this, I, I have to dejunk consumerism 
with this attitude of serving. So I dejunct consumerism with this attitude through serving. And so how do we do that? Well, if we are not careful, um, it, 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 this consumerism attitude can easily uh, make its way into the church. Now, now what do I mean by that? Um, we can tend to look at the church as a, as a place of meeting my needs. Um, we can say things like, well, hey, hey, no one said hi to me. Um, uh, this church isn't feeding me spiritually. And so we end up looking, we end up, we end up shopping for churches like we shop at a store. What, what is this church going to do for me? And if we're not careful, that kind of consumerism attitude can even s- slip into the way we look at a church. Um, Dallas Willard had some interesting insight here when he said this. Um, he said this, the consumer Christian is the one who utilizes the grace of God for forgiveness and the services of the church for special occasions, but does not give his thought, intentions, and actions over to the kingdom of God. Such Christians are not inwardly transformed and are not committed. So here's, I'll give you an interesting um, example for this. There was a pastor in England, and this is what he said. He goes, many people in England think the church is, is there for them and that they're there for them for three reasons. That's to hatch, to match, and to dispatch. So what does that mean? Well, they believe that the church is there to dedicate their children, to, uh, uh, to marry them, and then to bury them. And that's it. All the rest of their lives, that's it. So it's really, the church is there to serve my needs, but I'm not there to, to, to serve and to be used in that. So one that has a, a servant's heart says to the Lord, God, you have saved me and you have changed me to use me for your glory. The, the, the consumer Christian will say things like, um, I like this type of music, um, I like this type of preaching, and I like these type of, of ministries. But what we have to understand, and I don't know who to give credit to this quote, but I heard this quote and I thought it was great. It says, what makes the church so unique is that it's the one organization that does not exist for its own members. We exist for those who are not yet part of the church. Isn't that amazing? We're the one organization that exists not just for our members, but we actually exist for those who have not yet become part of the church. That Jesus says actually to go out from our midst into the world to make disciples and to baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's not necessarily about coming in and us four and no more. It's actually about going out and inviting those to come in and to be part. That's why we exist. We exist for those who have not yet come in to the family of God. Our, our purpose is to love God and to, and to love others and to serve God for his glory. So, so Christ-like servanthood starts with the heart. If, if I'm going to de-junk commercialism out of, um, out of my life, Christ-like servanthood starts with the heart. Christ has to grab our heart and realize it's not just about me and what I want and my desires, but it's God, what do you want from me? And how do you want to use me for your glory? So Christ-like servanthood starts with the heart. I love this passage in 1 Samuel 12, 24. The, uh, Samuel is speaking to Israel here, and 
It's right before they're about to get kings, and this is what they asked for, and they wanted kings to lead them and rule them. But, um, but Samuel gives them um, some really great, great wisdom. The prophet here gives them some wisdom. He says, listen, this is how you are to serve the Lord. If, if you're really going to have a right heart, it's not, a king's not going to do it for you, but this is what is going to do it for you. And, and this is what he says. He says, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with what? With all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Now, listen, 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 listen. I believe the way we break consumerism in our hearts or the selfish need to, to serve myself, I believe there's two things. That when we dejunk consumerism, we leave room for what's right and correct, that, that, that God can fill our lives with the correct things and the right things. And I believe there's two things uh, that, that can um, help us to serve the Lord and to please God and, and, and to put Christmas in the right perspective. And, and I think, once again, I don't want you, there's nothing wrong with buying presents. There's nothing wrong with going to parties and Christmas concerts and all those other things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But let's make sure we're putting everything in the right perspective. And the reason why we're um, doing um, those things. That's why I love the best Christmas special out there. It's the, the Charlie Brown Christmas. It's just, it's just so good. How many would say, yes, Pastor, that is so good. And, 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 you know, Charlie Brown says, you know, what is Christmas all about? And then Linus gets up there with his little blue blankie and just reads the Christmas story and just bang, there it is. And guess what? They still show it on TV. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Preach it, Linus. Come on. Love it. So. So how do, we, how do we look through all this stuff, all this consumerism and myself and really look for what's important? Well, what is Jesus looking for and, and what's the kind of heart Jesus is truly looking for? Well, I believe the first thing he's looking for is a heart of gratitude. This is what, this is what Samuel says. Samuel says, listen, serve him faithfully with all your heart. And then he says, consider the great things he has done. Don't forget what God has done for you. He's done these great things. He has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. He's, he's brought you through. He's, he's brought you through um, the desert. He brought you through the Jordan. Look at the great things he's done. Don't ever forget God is good. And the moment we forget his goodness is the moment we become ungrateful and we begin to look at ourselves and what we don't have, but yet we have so much and God is so good to us each and every day. Did you get up today and did you breathe? Thank God, right? Thank God we woke up today and there was no snow on the ground and we didn't have to shovel our driveways and did have to scrape the windows a little bit, but that's okay. We can do that. We'll scrape windows for those who don't have garages. I had a garage, didn't have to do it. Sorry, it's great. Love it. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, but God is so good to us each and every day. So that first thing is this heart of gratitude, this heart of gratitude. So, so a true servant, what, what's this heart? Well, this heart comes from a gratitude of, of what the Lord has done for us. So when I, here's how it looks. When I feel slighted or I didn't get my way or, um, you know, uh, maybe, you know, maybe, someone slighted me or whatever, whatever it, whatever it might be, whatever, whatever offense that I take that, that bothers me, you know, a heart of gratitude always goes back to what Christ did for us. It, a heart of gratitude goes back to the cross and says, you know, remember, you know, Christ did for me, which I didn't deserve any of it. 
Christ died for me and gave his life for me and demonstrated his love for me that, that while I was still a sinner, he, he died for me. And, and I'm the least that deserves anything. And so a, a, a true heart of gratitude goes back to the cross and goes back to what Jesus Christ has, has done f- for him. We, 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 don't, we don't serve to try to appease God. So listen, we don't, we don't serve to try to appease God or, or gain access to him or gain his love. We serve God because we're already forgiven. So if you can remember that, if you can, if you can remember, listen, God, the reason I serve you is not because I'm trying to get brownie points with you or trying to get a gold star on my forehead, trying to gain more access with you or trying to get you to love me so I can feel better about myself. The reason why we serve God is because we've already been forgiven. And when you know that you've already been forgiven, you begin to serve God with this heart of gratitude, not trying to gain access to him, not trying to, to one up somebody else, but you actually serve him with the correct motivation. That, God, I'm serving you because I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. That's the heart that Christ wants. He wants you to serve him because you're grateful. See, it all starts with the heart. If I serve grudgingly and and with a bad attitude, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There should be joy in our service unto the Lord because of the great things he's done for us. And so that's the heart of Christmas. It's that joy that God gave us the greatest gift that the world would ever receive, and that was the gift of his very own son. So it all, all starts with the heart. So listen, a heart that has been changed by God will serve with gladness. We'll serve with gladness and joy because, because we have, we're so grateful for what um, the Lord has done for us. There's a neat little story that's tucked in the Gospels, and it's a story about the ten lepers. And, and basically, if you had leprosy, basically it was a death sentence. Um, you couldn't be with other people. You had to be at a distance. You'd have to yell out unclean. You'd, um, you, the only way to be clean again was to come to a priest, and they would have to declare you clean, and you could be part of society. And there's this story that Jesus tells in Luke 17 about these 10 lepers. And, and really, the, at the heart of this story is really gratitude. It's really getting something that, that maybe they didn't deserve, but yet Jesus shows them mercy and grace and, and heals them. And I want to read this story to you in Luke 17, 11 through 19. And it says this, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the borders between Samaria and Galilee. Now, let me give you a little insight here between Samaria and Galilee. Obviously, Samaritans did not mix with, with the Jews because Samaritans were, were Gentile uh, and Jewish, they, they were kind of this mixed race and, and they, there was much prejudice against them and they didn't mix. But, but Jesus many times would travel through there and just try to disturb things to show that God's love is even reaching on beyond the borders uh, of just Israel. And so, so we, we see him traveling here and what happens is he said he was going into the village and 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have, have pity on us. And, and when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And they went and they were, they, they were clean again. Um, they were cleansed of this leprosy. And one of them, when he saw that it was healed, came back. And what was he doing? Praising God, giving gratitude to the one that healed him. And he actually threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, had gratitude. Thank you for what you do. He was the only one that was what? A Samaritan. And so then Jesus says, we're not all 10, you know, cleansed. Well, of course, Jesus 
knew that they were, but he just asked this question. Where, where, where are they? Where's this heart of gratitude? And where are the other nine? No one has returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. The one who shouldn't have came back is the one that did come back and give thanks. And then he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, now can you imagine um, this changes everything for them? It, it's basically uh, death to life. Um, they can interact with others. There's no more social stigma attached to them. But it's ironic that in this story, the only one to come back and give him thanks was the one that was a Samaritan, was the one that, that probably shouldn't have came back because there was so much prejudice against them. And the very one who shouldn't have came back is the one who thanked Jesus and, and, and was so grateful for what he did. All the other nine had some type, maybe some type of excuses of why they were not grateful. Now, this Samaritan could have been bitter. He could have not come back. He could have felt that they've treated me poorly and, you know, I deserve this and, and, and why should I thank them for this? But what's interesting is this Samaritan is the only one who actually received salvation. And God blesses us in so many ways that if we are not careful, we can easily take it for granted. And, and, that's, and that's really, if we're not careful, at the heart of consumerism. Because when I begin to focus inward on what I need, how many of you know that's an that's a endless pit that can never be filled? When I focus on my needs all the time, and it's, it's never going to be good enough. You know, this relationship's never going to be perfect enough. This job's never going to be perfect enough. This church isn't perfect enough. And then what we do is we're, we're searching for that thing to fill my need when all along God is saying, no, no, no. The answer is you need to become grateful. You need to become grateful for what I've done for you and what I'm doing in you and what my son has done for you. When that changes and, 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 and we dejunct that consumerism mentality out of our line, out of our lives, all of a sudden we make room for what is truly right. And that's being grateful for what God has done. And if he never does another thing for me, then that's okay because you've done enough for me because you gave me eternal life. And so if we constantly wake up every day and thank God for what he's done for us, it takes the grip of the meism off my heart and off my life and allows me to be so thankful for what Jesus did. He is such a good God. He is so good to us and he's so loving and he's so patient and he's so merciful. I should have been dead a long time ago because I am so selfish in so many ways and at so many times, but God is so patient with Barden Gerais and God is so patient with you. Amen? Thank God for his patience with us. So, so let's dejunk this consumerism to leave room for gratitude. Let's thank God uh, for, for what he's done. And here's the second thing that, 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 that I want you to see, and, and that a Christ-like attitude or a servanthood attitude like Jesus, when it starts with the heart, this is what Jesus is looking for. And the second thing I want you to see, it's the heart of humility. So not only is it, is it we need a heart of gratitude, but there's a heart of humility. And this is the thing that we can see in the life and the heart of Jesus. And this is what the Christmas story really is all about. It's about humility. It's, it's, it, and I want you to look at just even how the Savior came into the world and, and, and look at how he uh, started his, his life. We see that Mary is, is, is there and they have to travel a distance and 
We know that there's no room in the inn. And, um, and so uh, the place they find, they place Jesus in a manger, which is basically a feeding trough. Uh, most likely they're in some type of barn or stable. And now here's the thing I want you to see. Now juxtapose that with what, what is going on in Jerusalem right during that time. You've got King Herod who's ruling over Judea. And, and we know that him hearing the news of Jesus um, threatened him. And he, he, he ordered that all male children under the age of two be killed around Bethlehem because it threatened him and his kingship. And, and Herod, we could see, died alone and, and none of his power or wealth could save him. You have two completely different kings here. You have one that's prideful, one that's humble. You have one that's arrogant. You have one that's meek. You have one that's rich. You have one that's poor. You have one that's self-serving and you one that you one that's selfless. And see, what has to happen is when our hearts change, when our hearts change, it causes us to act in a different manner. Bottom line, when my heart changes from the grip of consumer in my heart and I become grateful, when my heart changes, I'm humbled by what God has done for me. When our hearts change, it causes us to act in a different manner. And this is what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us that the greatest among us are the ones that serve. They're the ones that serve. They're the ones that, that understand it's not serving to make myself look better. It's serving because it comes out of this grateful heart of what Jesus did for me. And then it humbles me that there's no job that Jesus cannot ask of me now because he saved me by his grace. I like what uh, Tim Keller says here. He says, God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. I love that. See, I'm not, I'm not, we, we think, well, I got to first clean up myself. I've got to, I got to change first and then I can come to church. Then, then Jesus can use me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've already done all that for you. You see, I like what Pastor Keller says. A changed life comes in response to salvation offered as a free gift. When I understand that free gift that was offered, when I didn't deserve it, I didn't merit it. Now I realize, Jesus, I'm serving you out of the gift that you gave me. I'm not serving you because I'm trying to become a better person. How many know that goes only so far? Because how many know we make a mistake the next day and the day after that and next, right? We're just going to make a mistake. So if, if I'm trying to do it out of good works, we're going to fail miserably. We're going to fall short from God's, pers- pers- uh, you know, God's per- perfection every single day. But Jesus says, I'm offering you this free gift. Now serve me out of this gift that I've given you and serve me out of gratitude and with a heart of humility. So when we see Christ for who he is and what he's done and how he set us free and how he's given us this free gift of salvation, the result is a changed life. I'm not serving because I have to. I'm not serving because I'm obligated. I'm not serving to gain God's favor. I do it out of love and gratitude and I see it now as a privilege. It is a privilege now to serve Jesus. It's a a privilege now to serve Jesus. And now what I realize is when Jesus came and he gave his life for you and I, he came for people. He came for broken people. Jesus willingly gave up the privilege of heaven 
to come and be born in a stable, in a stinky, be placed in a manger, right? He, he gave up his heavenly right to come and live amongst us to heal us of the brokenness of sin that sin left behind in each and every one of our lives. Jesus willingly became poor so that we could become rich. Jesus willingly gave his life on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Jesus willingly did all these things for us so that we could be the beneficiaries of God's wonderful love and grace. So here, here it is. Listen. If I dejunct the you know, commercialism out of my life, now if I really realize it, if, if I get the core of the gospel message, it's not about me, it's about Christ. It's about me serving him out of this heart of gratitude and a heart of love. What, what, what Jesus did for me, it changes everything. Because now I'm not just looking at myself, I'm looking at other people, that it's about people. That God loves people. God loves messed up people. That, that people are not perfect and that's why I came and God wants to work through my heart to live my life out by grace. To show God's love to other people. The messy, irritating people that are in front of you in line complaining about everything, right? This isn't good, eh, right? Because we're all one of them, right? Because we're those people, right? But let, let's, let, let this Christmas change your heart. And if you're bitter today or there's something in your heart that you need to de-junk, let, let God do that and get a, a, a fresh perspective of who Jesus is. Now, I, I read this story the other day and I just thought it was absolutely fabulous. It was just such an incredible story. And I changed my end of my message just to tell you this story because I thought it fit perfect with this. I read this story. And it, it just, it's a story of someone that gets it. Someone that gets that, that his life is not his own. That someone that's led by the love of Christ caused him to do something that not a lot of people would do unless you're led by the love of God and the love of, of Christ. And it was a story about a gentleman who served in World War II. And uh, this gentleman is named Roddy Edmonds. And he died in 1985, but Roddy Edmonds is the first U.S. soldier to receive Israel's righteous among the nation's honor 70 years after he risked his, risked his life to save 200 Jews. Now, What's interesting about this story is that no one knew about this. Roddy's kids didn't know about it. He really, talking to his son, who's a pastor, he says, my dad really didn't talk a whole lot about being in the war. And what, what came out of this story is that this man, Roddy Edmonds, was in the Battle of the Bulge in 1944 and was captured and was in a POW camp Stalag 9A. Now, he, is, he was the highest non-commissioner officer in the camp, and he basically oversaw a 1,000 POW prisoners within the camp. And here's the way the story goes. What happened is the German commanders at the time ordered that all Jews would have to stand outside. And all non-Jews wouldn't, wouldn't have to. Well, we all know what was going to happen, and even the prisoners knew that that the Nazis were, were killing Jews and, and, and most likely they were either going to be shot there or they were going to go to a concentration camp to die. Now, Edmonds was in charge of all these, of all these men. And so what he did was, instead of just the Jews standing in formation, all 
8,000 men came out and stood in formation. Now, the, the officer, the, the, the German officer says, these can't be all Jews. Edmund Stanley, being in charge of all these, says, he says, um, every single one of us are. What happened next is that Nazi officer took a gun to Edmund's head and said, if you don't recant and tell me who they are, I'm going to shoot you in the head. And, and this is basically what he said. He basically says, um, because he knew that because Geneva law, they just had to give their rank and serial number. They didn't have to give what religion they were. But he said, we're all Jews here. And he added that, that we don't need to divulge our religion under the Geneva convention. The commander put the gun to Edmund's head and, and, and he said, I will give you one more chance. Have the Jewish men step forward or I will shoot you on the spot. And Edmund's son recants the story. Who is a pastor, pastor Chris Edmonds said this. They said, my dad paused and he said this, if you shoot, you will have to shoot us all. And the commander yielded and walked away. Now, what's incredible about the story is this story went untold. No one knew about the story till just recently. And what happened was, is his son, Pastor Chris, Roddy's son, his daughter was in college, the granddaughter, and she was doing a paper on her dad, on her grandfather, because she knew that he was um, in the war and, and, and was in the POW camp. And then the more they researched and talked to the grandmother, he's like, this is a great story. I want to know more about my dad and what he did. And so he began to research it. He went online and found that there was a guy who mentioned his dad about saving his life in a POW camp. And, and this, this, this man, he, went, he traced him down. His last name was, his name was Lester Tanner. And Lester Tanner mentioned Edmonds saving his life. And so finally, his, this, this son of Edmonds tracked him down. And Tanner said, told him the whole story. That this is true. Your dad saved my life. Not only my life, but probably close to 200 Jews that were there. And now Pastor Chris is going around and interviewing all these. He's trying to find all those that were in the camp, those that hadn't died yet, and, and to hear the story. It's just an incredible, incredible story. He is, um, Edmonds was honored just last Wednesday as only the fifth American to receive the Israeli honor the country's highest for a non-Jew who undertook heroic acts in World War II. And now he's been considered for the Congressional Medal of Honor. Now, here's, here's what I thought when I, when I read this story. Here's a guy who didn't have to do it. And as you read deeper in his story, his son said, my dad was a man of deep faith. He loved the Lord. Now, here's somebody that understood about servanthood, that understood about what it means to be grateful, what it means to be humble, to actually lay his life down for the sake of his brother, beyond himself and just taking care of himself, but actually looking to say, you know what, it's not just about me, it's about people, it's about these, that, that, that I need to stand up for those 
who can't stand up for themselves, for those who, who are being mistreated. And see, when I look at this, that's the way I look at it. We look at our world, and, 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 and when, when Jesus looked at the world, he looked at us as, as people that were harassed, people that lacked a shepherd, who have been harassed by Satan's schemes. And I want you to look at, when you look at the world, I know it's easy for us just to look at people and just judge them right away, but let's look at them as people that are harassed and are being beat up and have a lot of hurt and pain in their lives that need a savior. They need someone to stand up for them. They need someone to come on their side. They need someone to show them grace and understanding to allow the forgiveness of Christ to work in their life. We are all messed up and we need a savior and we need grace and we need God's mercy. May God work through us. And I believe the reason why Roddy did this was because God was guiding his heart, that he knew who Jesus was. And it was, that was the thing that made him stand up for those who couldn't stand up for themselves. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. He stood up for us when we couldn't stand up for ourselves. And that's why he gave his life. So we have so much to be grateful for. So this Christmas season, let's de-junk a little bit, okay? Let's detox a little bit, okay? And let's begin to look at Christ for who he is. And may the gratitude and humility of Jesus Christ grip our very hearts so that we can look at this world with the right way.